Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. When I was a new believer, I had worked at a restaurant for a little while, and there was a guy who would come in fairly often, and every so often we would have conversations. Uh, And one day we had figured out that he was a self-professed atheist and I was a Christian, and uh, we got to talking about C.S. Lewis and some other things, and eventually we got to the topic of the resurrection. And I remember this man asked me the question, his name was Buzz, he asked me the question, why does the resurrection matter? Even if it were true, so what? Even if a man named Jesus of Nazareth raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, what does it matter? What implication does it have for my life? Uh, In other words, who cares? I don't remember what my answer was at the time, but I remember that it wasn't a good one. And it wasn't a good answer because I was unprepared to answer this question. Not only do we need to understand and know why the resurrection matters for our own lives, but we need to be prepared to share it with others, to be able to point them to Christ. We never know when we're going to have the opportunity, like I had, to tell somebody that Jesus raised from the dead, and it matters so immensely to their lives in eternity, and here's why. I didn't do that. I I had the opportunity to do that, but I didn't. So we need to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us, And if we're going to always be prepared to defend our faith, that means that we always need to be preparing to defend our faith. So here's my question to you. Why does the resurrection matter? And when somebody says, so what about the resurrection, what are you going to tell them in response? Well, here in the universe next door, we are starting a brand new series today, extending through Easter about defending the resurrection. In today's episode, we're specifically going to talk uh, about why the resurrection matters, but going forth, we're going to do each episode on a different aspect of defending the resurrection, and we're going to have some really awesome guests. I'm not going to tell you who they are yet, but come back next week and the week after that, and you are going to have your mind blown by some of the people that we're going to have on this show. Uh, You're going to learn some new information, and you're going to be able to defend the truth of the resurrection from different angles. So why does the resurrection matter? Uh, Let's start with the basics of why God himself from Scripture tells us that the resurrection matters. And just a quick disclaimer, I'm not simply talking about the resurrection as a metaphor. I'm not talking about the resurrection as just some spiritual uh, act that Jesus put on. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, literally in bodily raising from the dead, physically raising from the dead. He spent time with people. He was seen post-mortem by hundreds and hundreds. We're going to get into that down the road. He ate with people. He was physically raised from the dead. And so that is the view that we're going to be explaining and defending because that is the view Scripture gives to us. So number one, the reason the resurrection matters is because accepting the physical resurrection of Christ is necessary for believing the gospel and receiving salvation. So in order to believe the gospel and receive salvation, believing the resurrection is part of this package. 
Uh, we talked last week in our episode, and we said that faith can be defined as believing God, as believing and trusting the promises of God. And so when we say we've put our faith in Christ, believing the resurrection actually happened is necessary for believing Christ, because that's one of the promises he made that's necessary for salvation. If we look at Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 9, we'll see that it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, first of all, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, there's a lot of implications to that phrase. It's simple, but it just gets deeper and deeper the further you go into your faith. Keep in mind that this is chapter 10 of the book of Romans. Paul spends the first nine plus chapters expositing the Christian faith, going through doctrine after doctrine after doctrine. He mentions uh, that and, and expounds the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, sanctification, which basically means being made holy, being made more like Christ. Uh, justification, glorification. These are all terms that are important and that Paul goes through in the book of Romans. So when he gets to chapter 10 of Romans, he has already gone through a whole lot. And when he says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's a lot of implications to that phrase, Jesus is Lord. It means that we believe that he is God and that he alone is sufficient to save us. We believe that he died on the cross and paid for our sins. We believe a whole lot of doctrine that goes along with that. But when we confess with Jesus that Jesus is Lord, it's followed by the second part. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. In other words, we believe the resurrection. We believe that God raised him from the dead physically, and we're saved for believing these things. So that's the first thing here. We're, the resurrection matters because we're saved in part by believing that the resurrection actually happened, that Jesus' words are true when he said uh, in John chapter 2 that he would raise himself up, that he would raise himself from the dead. So we're saved in part by believing in the truth of the resurrection. That is the first reason why it matters so much. When we're sharing the gospel with somebody, when we're having a discussion about our faith, um, a friend of mine, um, we like to argue about the Nephilim. If you ever looked at Genesis chapter 6, uh, one of us will argue that he was, um, you know, one of the, the sons of God, meaning an angel. Uh, one of us will say one of sons of God doesn't mean angel. And we, it's a fun debate. It's important. It matters. It's in Scripture. But it's certainly not a salvation issue. Well, the resurrection is a salvation issue. When we're discussing the gospel with friends uh, and family and whoever God may put on our path, we have to make sure they understand that Jesus truly raised from the dead. So accepting the resurrection of Christ is necessary for salvation. What about Christians who deny the resurrection? What about Christians who say, well, I believe the resurrection was kind of a metaphor, but I don't believe that God actually raised Jesus from the dead. That is not sufficient. That is not the gospel. Scripture tells us that there was a literal uh, resurrection, and we have to make sure that our friends understand this. Number two, the resurrection matters is because Christ raising from the dead fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. So when Jesus raised from the dead, uh, he didn't just pop out of nowhere and say, I'm going to die on a cross, and then I'm going to resurrect, and everything's going to be great. He didn't just do that. He didn't just pop into uh, a narrative just without any context or anything. 
there's a purpose for everything Jesus did while he was on earth. In fact, uh, when Jesus did miracles, he wasn't simply, he was being kind and loving, but he wasn't simply and only doing that. He was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Every time he helped somebody walk again, uh, he was fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah, from Isaiah 44, I believe it is. Every time he raised someone from the dead, he's fulfilling prophecy. Every time he reads something in a synagogue and he says, this, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing, He's fulfilling that prophecy, and the Jewish people in the synagogue would have understood this because they are looking and they are waiting for the Messiah, uh, the Mashiach, or the Chosen One to come and fulfill these promises that were made by God throughout the Old Testament by all these different prophets, starting in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We see Messianic prophecies all throughout the uh, Old Testament of the Bible, and Jesus Christ came to fulfill these prophecies. So when he raised from the dead, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. I was listening to an atheist talk, I believe it was a cosmic skeptic, um, who's a very respectful person and a very intelligent person, but I heard him make some accusations against the resurrection that I think are just easily refutable. I'd love to do um, one of those reaction videos down the road and maybe go through each part of what I heard him say, because uh, for, for such an intelligent guy, I think there were very poor arguments against the resurrection. But one of the points he made was, imagine if Alfred Hitchcock uh, had followers who claimed that he was raised from the dead. He was just an actor uh, decades ago. This wasn't all that long ago. But let's say he had followers who claimed that he raised from the dead. And they said, we have evidence. Uh, would you just go and believe that Alfred Hitchcock raised from the dead? I mean, what would it take for you to believe that? Well, upon saying this, it made me think Jesus didn't just, as we said, pop into a narrative out of nowhere and then raise from the dead. Jesus came to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. There was context behind what he did. And so if we look at Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And I think it's one of the most important and most clear pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. I'd done a, an episode I don't remember when it was, but if you go back on our feed, you can find an episode. It's probably titled Isaiah 53. But um, Isaiah 53 is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 53, when you read through it, it's like verse after verse. It's just things Jesus fulfilled. And it's so clear to the point where if you were to read this chapter to somebody on the street, who's heard of Christianity, and you say, who's this chapter about? They're more than likely going to say, well, it's about Jesus. And this was written over 700 years before Christ walked the earth. So if we go to Isaiah 53, starting in verse 10, it says, yes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. <clears throat> Now, if he's made an offering for guilt, if he is crushed and put to grief by the Lord, if he is dead, in other words, how in the world would he see his offspring? How would he prolong his days if he is dead? If There's one simple fact here. People who are dead don't prolong their days. Their days are over. Okay, People who are dead don't get to see their offspring. They don't get to see anything because they're gone. So the will of the Lord the will of the Lord cannot prosper in his hand if he's dead. Now, it'd be one thing if the text said, uh, after this, this figure dies, then the will of the Lord would prosper because of what he had done or something along those lines. But that's not what it says. It says, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
the same hand where Christ holds our salvation. So in order for somebody to see their offspring, in order for them to prolong their days, in order for them uh, to have the will of the Lord prosper in their hand, this person had to have been raised from the dead. And we went through a whole episode, as I had mentioned, about how this can't simply be referring to a prophet. It cannot simply be referring to Israel. It has to be referring to the Messiah. In verse 11, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And of course, this ties in with our first point that uh, the resurrection is necessary for salvation. By resurrecting, he made many to be accounted as righteous by paying for their sin on the cross and raising from the dead. Now, this is just one of many, many examples uh, of, of Old Testament prophecy of Jesus raising from the dead that he had fulfilled. There are many more examples, and, and like I said, we'll go do some episodes on Old Testament prophecy one day, but this is just a brief Why the Resurrection Matters episode. So one of the main reasons it matters is because Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. <clears throat> now, number three, the resurrection matters because believers will be raised as Christ was with a new glorified body. So the resurrection wasn't just a random thing Jesus did that we had to believe in. It has an actual intention. Jesus raised to bring us with him. Um, to new life, and we will be raised as Christ was with a new glorified body. Gary Habermas points out that there are over 300 resurrection verses in the New Testament, and he's pointed out that over 20 of these uh, verses correlate with believers being raised up. So over 20 times, uh, the New Testament points out that because Jesus has been raised, believers are going to be raised, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, fairly recently, I was doing a study of First Thessalonians, which is just an awesome book. Um, and, of course, there's the popular passages in there that point to the end times that talk about uh, those who will be caught up, that the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then the living in Christ will be raised, but will both be raised with him. This is one of those passages Habermas is referring to. And what I thought about when I was studying that book is that First Thessalonians is written to the Church of Thessalonica, who's being persecuted. And their family and their friends are being killed. They're being taken away and imprisoned. These are people who would have been looking for encouragement, and Paul is providing encouragement to them. Well, oftentimes when we look at First Thessalonians 4 and, and so on, we basically study it for end time stuff, right? We want to say, well, what does it mean uh, that these believers are caught up and so on and so forth? But what's really cool about this is when Paul gives this theology on the end times, uh, and on the on the final day, he does it with a purpose. He's not simply giving the the church in Thessalonia um, just some theology to hold on to and to have. He's actually giving them encouragement. There's a purpose behind the theology, and that purpose is that when you look at the the persecuted church of Thessalonica, and they would have been looking for encouragement, they probably would have asked, "Well, sure, you can encourage us, Paul, but what about the people who have already been killed?" What about the people who have already been taken away? We can't go and encourage them because they're already gone. And Paul says, no, you have it all wrong. Those believers are going to be raised first. They're going to have a certain privilege for being martyred and for being taken away and killed. So he gives them a reason behind this theology. He says, the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then we believers who are still alive will be raised with them. And 
that is something that would have comforted the, the church of Thessalonica, and that's something that should comfort us. Those uh, family members who are believers will be raised first. Those in church history who had died for their faith will be raised first, and we will all be raised with them because of the resurrection. Now, if we jump to 1 Corinthians 15, um, we see the same idea, but let's start at uh, let's start at verse 12. This is one of the most famous passages on the resurrection, and you'll be hearing more from this verse over the next few weeks. I can guarantee that. But in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with uh, verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Pause just real quick. Um, this is something that we just talked about. People who deny the physical resurrection and say it's just some sort of metaphor. It didn't really happen. Um, Paul's addressing this 2,000 years ago, and actually the Sadducees were much like the liberal church today, where they wanted to interpret Scripture in a very biased and specific way, where they would say, well, this thing was metaphorical, this thing was only temporary, this thing was an analogy. Paul's saying, no, no, no. (laughs) If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here's the key, that our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, your faith is pointless, your faith is empty if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead. He goes on in verse 15 to say, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So that Romans 10, 9 passage, it may just, well, not apply to anybody because if Jesus is not Lord and he did not raise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. They have not been forgiven and paid for. In verse 18, he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We just talked about that from 1 Thessalonians. You can see Paul um, using this consistent theology throughout the New Testament in a lot of his writings. So those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if there's no resurrection. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So think about that. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. And of course, in the next paragraph, he goes on to talk about how Christ has been raised, and that's why we get to have hope. Um, But if he was not raised, we would be embarrassed as Christians. We should be laughed at. We should be pitied. We should be the laughingstock of the religious world because we believe something so silly as to say somebody raised from the dead if they actually didn't. So Christianity hinges upon the resurrection. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then everything we believe is absolutely pointless. Starting at the resurrection and going backwards, we may as well throw it all out. So the resurrection matters because believers will be raised with Christ in a new glorified body. And fourth, and lastly, well, maybe I can have time for two more, but let's say fourth, nowhere does Christ or any New Testament author suggest that the resurrection was performed in order to prove Jesus' divinity. And the reason for this is that Jesus did not need to prove his divinity. Rather, the resurrection did demonstrate his divinity. But Jesus did not do this in order to prove his divinity. He's already God. He has nothing to prove to anybody. Uh, Rather, he is going to demonstrate his divinity through the resurrection. So Jesus made direct claims to divinity over and over in the New Testament. 
Uh, we can think of a good, a good-sized handful of very undeniably direct claims, such as the John 8, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, that's literally as direct as he could have possibly gotten with the Jewish people making a claim to deity. So he makes a lot of direct claims to deity in the New Testament. But in addition to this, he makes a lot of small claims that the Jewish people would have understood as well. For example, every time he says, I say to you, he is basically quoting himself as scripture. He's, he's quoting the Old Testament with authority, and he's saying, I say to you, as though he's the one who made those claims originally as God, which of course he is, because Jesus Christ is God. Um, and so he makes a lot of claims to deity in the New Testament, but the resurrection demonstrated Jesus' divinity. Remember that we saw in, or we mentioned in John chapter 2, that Jesus claimed that he would raise himself from the dead. And of course, the Apostle Paul and the Gospel writers say over and over that God raised Jesus from the dead. So Jesus is making a claim to divinity, and he's making a claim to authority by saying, uh, this temple will be destroyed in three days, and I will raise it back up. Um, or this temple will be destroyed, and I'll raise it back up in three days. And of course, the author John tells us that Jesus is making a claim to divinity. He's saying uh, that I will raise myself from the dead. So Jesus was not proving his divinity. He was demonstrating his divinity. Now, lastly, and this is a very cool point, number five is that death was the last enemy to be defeated. Now, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I told you we'd be in 1 Corinthians 15 a lot, but if we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and we look at verse 26, um, let's start at verse let's start at verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's also a prophecy from the Psalms. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then uh, verse 27 goes on to say, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is, ex he is expected who put all things in subjection subjection under him. So the last enemy to be destroyed is the enemy of death. And upon Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead, death was defeated. He literally defeated death. Um, I heard a, a, an apologist back in the day say, death is dead. This is, of course, a paraphrase of a passage that's quoted later in 1 Corinthians 15 <clears throat> from Hosea. I believe it's Hosea 13, 14. But because Jesus raised from the dead, death has been defeated. It is no more. It no longer exists. It no longer has any power over the believer in Jesus Christ because we are raised with him. We are given a new body. Death is defeated. These are things that the Christian not only has to believe, but that the Christian gets to believe. What more wonderful doctrine can you imagine that Jesus uh, demonstrated his divinity by raising from the dead? that Jesus promises to bring not only us with him, the believers who are living, who are still learning about him, who are, who are still studying, but Jesus even promises that the dead in Christ, the relatives and the friends and the martyrs of church history who have died, they will be raised with him. They get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ as well, even though they have already passed on from the earth. This is encouragement to believers. The resurrection is encouragement, and it's something that we need to not only be confident in for ourselves, but that we need to be prepared to defend. We need to be prepared to share with other people. Like we said at the beginning of this episode, I was unprepared when I was asked that question as a new believer. 
I didn't know I was going to have that opportunity. Um, I wish I had, because who knows if somebody else shared the gospel uh, with the man who I had talked to at the restaurant? Who knows when you'll get an opportunity? Well, here in the universe next door, we want to hear about those opportunities. We want to hear about the questions you have. And, and like I said, we're going to have a few really cool guests on in the next few weeks. So if you have questions about anything related to the resurrection, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. And we will answer your questions on the air. Well, thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. Please join us for the rest of our resurrection series, and we'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.